Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress, and perform at this incredible game of Warhammer 40K, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, Dave Colmel, an American drift pilot coming back for just one more chance to get it done and save the human race. As always, I'm joined by my good friend and 40K mentor, the founder of Vanguard Tactics. He's returning again as my Jaeger co-pilot, even though he has no idea what that means. He's the Jake Pentecost to my Nate Lambert, Mr. Stephen Box. Steve, how's it going? You're right. I don't know what you're talking about, Dave. Yeah, I know. It's a great intro and people love it. So it's fine. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I, I, I get, I, I hear from a lot of people. I mean, you, you like the intros. You just don't know what they mean. And everybody else, the audience members that get it, love it. And I get a lot of positive feedback. So, you know, and eventually, you know, I think just every year when we get together at LVO, I'm just going to sit you down and make you watch a movie. Sure. Like I said, if it's hot fuzz related, Shaun of the Dead, I'll get it. Right. Yeah. You know, anything with Will Fowl in, I'll probably get it. Yeah. Get most of those. Marvel superhero films I'll probably get. Yeah. More often than not, especially if it's like Hulk, Thor related, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I will eventually get around to some of those references. I mean, I did Captain America. I think that was my first one I did and Union Jack. So. Yeah. Um, we'll get around to some more of those. But for Jaegers is, you know, Pacific Rim is all about giant robots. So it, it suits this. Sure. And that's all you need to know. Mm. Um, so now that we've caught Steve up a little bit on uh, pop culture, uh, let's acknowledge our sponsor, Siege Studios, who I had a fantastic one-to-one call with James this week, um, helping me work on my airbrushing skills. I can't wait to, to, do, to start working on the, the practice uh, tricks and stuff that he gave me. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you need anything custom painted, please go to Siege Studios. If you want any, they do classes uh, if you're in the UK. Uh, or you can do set up, you know, remote video one-to-one stuff like I did with James this week. It is absolutely worth it. If you want to take your painting game up to that next level, contact Siege Studios. Yeah, we're actually going to get James on soon for a full episode. So um, if you've got any questions for James, then um, on the Instagram, what I'll do is basically have it so you can just send in your questions. Yeah. And then we can do a whole sort of Q&A session with James, go into some really good discussions. Um, yeah. But no, I'm... Uh, Dave, I'm really glad you had a good session with James and has really helped your painting. So thanks very much, Siege. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, some quick academy announcements. Uh, uh, enrollment for the next class is going on now. The next session starts on uh, the annual uh, celebration of the birth of our one true Jake Harding, uh, July 4th. So that's when the next academy session will start. So you can, you can celebrate Jake's birthday and get some great uh, instruction on improving your 40K game by signing up for the academy. Yeah, absolutely. So we kick off on, yeah, on the 4th of July and, um, you know, some of those spaces are running out quite quickly. So it'd be great to see many of you on there that really want to take your game to the next level, whether you're, you know, a beginner, um, and providing you've had a couple of games in a 40 K, the Academy is going to be suitable. Um, if you feel like actually you're not quite ready, maybe for the Academy, then do the basic training course that we have first. And, um, yeah, then that way it'll just bring you up to speed. And then obviously we want to incentivize people to go to that next level. So we'll give you a little bit of a discount as well by doing that first course. So if you are unsure, that's a good introductory way um, to then do, before you do the academy. And that's a week long, the basic training. So that is for complete beginners who are getting into the game or maybe you want to revisit it. Yeah, especially if you've been away for a couple of years or maybe the last time you played was sixth, seventh edition, something like that. Absolutely do the basic training course. It'll catch you up on everything. Uh, the little subtleties that have changed in the rules. Uh, yeah. And it's so surprising, actually, when I play even, you know, top players and some of the fundamental rules still being played incorrectly because they're like hang ups from previous editions or, 
assumptions were made, but actually we, you know, sometimes going through it completely from the bottom up is definitely the best way. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've played against people that, and I'll still forget or try to um, misplay certain like basic rules. I like going back to the basic training course um, occasionally just to, just to refresh certain things. Uh, I know um, I had a story this week that somebody had played against uh, 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 somebody from another, uh, one of the top players in the world. And he had misplayed how to wrap and trap in the assault phase. And that is one of those things that, you know, that's a very basic tactic that we all use. It's been around for a while, but the subtle details of it, you got to get it right because they've changed since eighth edition. So, yeah, you know, the game's always moving, right? And now we've got heresy back and that's kind of like a seventh edition throwback, um, which in the future, we're going to be doing a learn to play Horus heresy um, video and then also a basic training for Horus heresy. That's going to be super exciting as well. So um, very much looking forward to getting stuck in with that. Um, yeah. So Dave, what are we talking about on today's show? All right. So, uh, today we're going to be talking about, uh, Imperial Knights, but before we get to that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave us a five-star review, please. And thank you. Uh, we've been getting, uh, I've been, been getting a lot of in, uh, increased, uh, comments and people sending me messages on Instagram and Facebook too. Uh, I love it. Please do not hesitate. If you have a question, um, please feel free to, to, uh, hit either of us up. You can find Steve on Instagram at, at the Vanguard Tactics. I am on Instagram at, at Infantry Lawyer. And uh, of course, don't forget, as always, to go to www.vanguardtactics.com for more information about the Academy. And don't forget to check out YouTube for all of the uh, live stream games and the other content that Steve and the rest of the uh, UK group have been putting out there. Um, and I do have a rules lawyer question this week before we get on to, to finishing up, finally finishing Codex Imperial Knights, which I know I've been promising for the last month. Uh, we are going to finally finish doing that today. That's our main subject. But before that, I had a great question for Rules Lawyer. You can't talk about reviews and then not read one out, Dave. Oh. Do you want me to read one? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so we've got a couple here. So I'll I got do... ahead of myself. Huh? I got you, ahead of myself. You're just so keen, mate, aren't you? Um, I am. This is a, um, we've got a do and need nickname, and they put a five-star review in, and they put trust. This is church the emperor protects. I mean, yeah, that was a great one. Simple, to the point, and, and much appreciated. Love it. And then we've also got another review, because uh, we've actually getting quite a few in now, which is great. Uh, Accidental Viking said, a podcast cooler than the other side of the pillow. I love that. <laughs> um, and it said, thank you for a cracking listen. Uh, learning so much each episode and genuinely enjoying the passion and hard work dedicated to your content. Absolute champions. Thank you so much, Accidental Viking. I've never been cooler than a, uh, the other side of the pillow, but now I feel like I need a t-shirt with it on. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Accidental Viking actually had the, uh, he had a rules lawyer question for us that we just recorded, Mike and I did for the Codex Knights, uh, uh, Chaos Knights that's going to come out uh, shortly, guys. So um, Accidental Viking is one of our listeners in Australia. Good yeah. dude. He was very nice to me when he uh, messaged me on Instagram. Great guy. Uh, if I ever get out to, to that side of the planet, I'm looking that dude up for a game. Um, so, uh, rules lawyer question. We had, um, I got a message on uh, Instagram from Tom Hutchinson. Um, he had a question about the Dark Angels, um, a librarian Ezekiel's. He's got that aura ability of, for a plus one attack for core units. And sure. um, the rule states, uh, you know it, the rule states that it doesn't stack with shock assault. So obviously yeah. they just, you know, you don't get the extra one plus one attack for shock assault, but you just every combat, whether you charge or not, you get a plus one attack. But his question is, if a Dark Angels unit that's within range of that aura 
and his core, and so is benefiting from it, charges into an enemy unit that has a minus one attack ability. Mm-hmm. Um, does the Dark Angel unit still get the extra attack? Because it's is that minus one attack ability taking away minus one attack from both? Does the Dark Angel like lose both abilities, or does it shut off one and then the plus one from the other? Like, does it take away Ezekiel's aura and shock assault? Then kicks in because it's a charge. Because yeah, so let's say you've got I don't know two attacks each per model. Let's just take a classic Space Marine Intercessor. Okay, right. You've got two attacks basic. You charge in with Shock Assault, you get three attacks. Am I right? Right. Okay. Now, if there's an aura, which is minus one attack, that'll be off your characteristic. So what you're getting is one attack now, plus Shock Assault for two attacks. Got it. So the, so the, the, the minus one attack is to the profile, not to any abilities that you may stack on it afterwards. Yeah. So it's not like the plus one, minus one, plus one hit stack that we have to adjust for if there's multiple bonuses or penalties for, for hitting or yep. wounding now. If, you, if there was an ability which uh, stipulated that you didn't count as charging, so i.e. the Death Guard, um, oh, that stupid, horrible character that I absolutely hate with all my passion in life, uh, only because my Blood Angel needs removes my charge bonus, but that being right. said, uh, because it's being the Foul Blight spawn, right? So Yes. Within six inches, you do not count as charging. So therefore, you do not get the benefit of Shock Assault. Because you do not get the benefit of Shock Assault, you would get the plus one attack from Ezekiel. Right. So the Sanguinor has a similar ability. Um, and there's also another Warlord trait in the Space Marine Codex, or a, a Relic or a Warlord trait, which also stipulates that they do not work together and they also do not work with Shock Assault. Yes. Yeah, there is one in, in the Space Marine Codex, and I can't remember which one it is. but. So, Tom, the answer to your question is, sorry, bud, it's a minus one attack, capital A attack, so it means it's coming off your statistics, not the total final tally or whatever, so it's not canceling out an ability, it's not, uh, it's not Death Leaper just shutting off one of those abilities and allowing the other one to kick in in its place, it's just a minus one to your base attack, and then you get to add in whatever bonuses afterwards, so either way, you're, you're, you're basically just losing both, you're, you're just going to get your base attacks at that point. So, um, anyway, great question. Great question. Sorry. It's not, we're not giving you the answer probably that you're looking for, but it's a great question. So thank you very much for, uh, to Tom Hutchinson. And without further ado, we have to finish off, uh, Imperial Knights that we left hanging about a month ago. Um, we've got data sheets, stratagems, and then I think you had a couple top combos that you wanted to get into. So you want to do strats first, or you want to hit the data sheets? Let's do the data sheets first and then we'll work in that way. Also, like I said, um, I really apologize that we never got out the, um, the guide for beginning with, uh, for playing with Knights. We've basically done a step-by-step process that we would recommend you go through uh, just breaking down the codex a little bit simpler. It is now finished. I was planning to do it on the plane, but I got a mixture of excited of playing solitaire against Chris on the plane then got so tired from playing solitaire that I fell asleep. So uh, unfortunately, guys, I didn't get it done on the plane. And uh, then I got back from the BAO and I just haven't done it. But it is finished now. And what I will do is, that was the best way of doing this. Here's what I'll do. I'll create a link on the Vanguard Tactics website before this show goes live. And it will just stay on there. Download the Imperial Knight cheat sheet. You can just pop your email address on there and it'll just send it to you. Um, and then also that will also then put you on our email list 
and I'll send it out on there as well. And it's just a breakdown of step-by-step what we'd recommend you do. Okay. Sounds good. Righty-ho. All right. So data sheets. Yeah. Now, please forgive us. Obviously, I was listening back to the podcast on double speed just so I could just essentially find out what we'd spoke about before and what we hadn't because I didn't want to miss anything or waste your time by recapping anything in a lot of detail. Okay. Oh, any, anybody that thinks that you and I have our podcasts detail oriented and ready to go, you know, hours in advance should not have had anything to do with yours and my text conversation before, just before we started recording this while we're scrambling and figure out to remember what we recorded the last time. Yeah, I know exactly. And the other thing that we need to remember as well is, um, upon recording this, which I think is really good, the balance update is out. So as recording this, the balance update, Nephilim is out, and also the points updates are also out. So hopefully some of the recommendations I can give today will be relevant as well. It's not like, which I think good, because I think if I'd have given this advice before, um, some of it would have been outdated. So for example, Chris, who came to the BAO with me of Zimperial Knights, unfortunately his list now starts with minus one CPs. He spends seven pregame. Yeah. And you can't so, do that. You can't do that, no. Dave. That's cheating now. That's that's cheating now. Ne- Nephilim rules are applying. But we're going to talk about that in the next episode because we're going to, we're actually, we got so much to cover up. You and I are recording back to back double episodes today. So um, let's get through Imperial Knights and then we'll, we will talk all things Nephilim in the next episode. So y'all can stay tuned for that. Do you remember how, um, just to quickly recap for you, Dave, do you remember how the codes work? Yes. The code wreck, yeah. So you become. Yes. You're dishonored if you have no honor points. Yeah. Yep. You, you always start the battle with one. You then become honored between one and four. And then at five to six, you become virtuous. Okay. And then there's four oaths. You have to pick two. Um, now, one of them that we really want to be looking at here is that f- uh, second one, which is basically um, whilst you're honored at the start of your command phase, the Battleforge CP bonus grants you one additional command point. So this means you'll get two in your turn and then one in your opponent's because it explicitly says your command phase. So don't get that. Don't try and change the wording there to fit both players' command phases. It's just yours, but it's still very, very strong. So therefore, over the course of the game, a Knights player is going to be gaining 15 CPs. That is ludicrous. Yes. Yeah. Oh. The, uh, that, um, and that's the um, Defend the Realm Oath. And that one is so, and because that's also the one that gives you um, objective okay. security. Yeah. yeah. So that one is now with, with the new, that's almost an auto take now, which uh, with the new Nephilim changes to CP generation. Like that is definitely a thing that people need to be, if you're an Imperial Knights player, you need to be paying close attention to. While Alpha Strikes are long gone and, and pregame CP spending is going to be obviously capped like on Chris's list. Um, you, you definitely are going to want, if you're only getting two CP a turn now, which is nice, yeah. starting at zero, having that extra one every mm-hmm. turn is nice. That is something we need to consider is that, remember, uh, one of the stratagems later on is called Rotate Iron Shields. It's two CPs for a big knight for a four up invun save. Um, obviously, we're going to need to make sure that you're at least starting with one CP which means you can only spend five CPs in that pregame on Warlord Traits and Relics because obviously now you need to spend a, a CP just for your what you used to get as your free Warlord Trait, another CP for your free Relic. 
Um, so make sure you only spend five because if you go second, that means the one you had saved will become two. You can rotate iron shields. If you go first, there is a possibility for you to be up to three CPs, which is fantastic, obviously, if you've gone for that, uh, that oath, really. All right? Yeah. So do you remember how bondsman abilities works with the armatures? Once you're under the effects of a bondsman ability, you gain the ability of minus one damage. Yeah? Yes. Yep. And also, you can only ever be under the effects of one bondsman ability. And as soon as it's replaced by another one, you lose the first one. And it lasts command phase. All right? Yeah. Command phase to command phase. Yeah. So we've got the, the Armager Helvrin. These are your autocannon-based armagers. Um, they're movement 12. They hit both shooting and combat on threes. They're toughness seven. They are 12 wounds and they are four attacks. Now, obviously, the autocannons is what it's equipped with. It's two of them. So you're going to get basically it's 60 inch range, heavy 4d3 shots. 4d3. So that is an average of how many, Dave? Eight. Yeah. Eight shots, strength seven, minus two. So additional AP pip on there and flat damage three. Um, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a nice sweet spot being at minus two. Even with even with armor of contempt, you're still going to be pushing space marines and, and you know down down to a four up save. So not bad. So um, they used to be minus one AP. Yeah, right. Like all other outer cannons. Yeah. So they because they're minus two is actually quite nice because against anything that's not a knight, uh, anything that's not a marine or you know sister, um, that AP two is going to be really really good. It's going to knock most vehicles onto an invun if they have one. So um, that's quite a nice little sweet spot. Um, so I think that's pretty good. Um, again, nice little gun battery in the backfield, and there's obviously some ways to buff them. Okay, next up, you've got the Armager Warglaive. Uh, this is the one with the thermal spear and the chain glaive. Unfortunately, you know, Imperial Knights quite, aren't quite as cool as the Chaos ones. We don't have fancy claws and little machine guns. So what we've just got is the thermal spear, um, and uh, you're the same profile of attacks as i mentioned before but the thermal spear is heavy two strength nine minus four d6 damage with the melter range of being in half you get plus two to your damage then you've got the reaper chain glaive you've now got a strike or a sweep profile so you can have either four attacks at strength 10 minus four flat three damage or you can have eight attacks at minus at strength six minus three one damage okay so you've got the two options which is quite nice um both of these options can take a melter gun as well should point that out um, and then the apologies though, that is actually locked too. If this unit, um, so this depends again, if you're Mechanicus or Imperialis, this is really interesting. So it says if this unit is quest or Mechanicus keyword, any number of the models can have their melter gun replaced with one quest or Cognis heavy stubber. And if this unit is a Questor Imperialis keyword, any numbers can have their melter gun replaced with one Questor Imperi um, Iron Hail Heavy Stubber. So there's different types of heavy stubbers depending on whether you're um, Questor Mechanicus or Imperialis. So just make sure you're aware of that. Okay. Yeah, the Iron Hail is usually the thing that's better against anti aircraft, and the Cognus has usually got a higher volume of shots, if I remember correctly. Probably from something along Past yeah. codexes. Um, yeah, we can take a look at those later. Yeah. Um, I, I do like the, um, obviously when we had talked about last time, we had established that, um, Quester Mechanicus is a little better for ranged and Quester Imperialis is better for getting up close in melee. So if you're going to be playing Quester Mechanicus, you want to be looking at those Helverins sitting in the backfield, 
Um, I did play recently against a game against the uh, the Chaos version and those Helverins uh, with those double auto cannons. Two of them and sitting in the backfield holding an objective, put out a lot of shots. And even if you think minus two AP is nothing to, it's it, you can just you know ignore it or it's no big deal. It's when you're taking sixteen shots from two of them, it's a lot of shots that's coming in at you. That's that's going to be putting a hurt on. And whereas yeah. the the Warglave is going to be better probably if you're if you're leaning towards uh, Quester Imperialis because it's got that nice Reaper Chain Glaive that's got the strike or the sweep option, so you can do the the strength 10 big chop, or you can double your um, attacks from four to eight and do the strength six sweep attack. So, yeah. Okay. So the, the slight difference on the heavy stubbers here. Um, okay. So they're both the same range, but the Questor Mechanicus one, which is the Cognus, um, Cognus one is assault four, strength four, no AP, one damage. However, the Imperialis one, the Iron Hail, is strength uh, is heavy four strength four minus one. Okay, so it's so it's a heavy force, but it's a minus minus one. Um, but it's an additional minus one AP. Minus one AP, yeah. Okay. Either way, I'm probably not shooting them, and if I got the pet spare points, I'll probably just take them out again for five points. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. So. Oh, and 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 we can't forget the you know, both of these obviously have ion shields. They have the five up invuln against um, shooting. And they both have the armager squadron rule, which is if you buy multiples in a single squad, you put them down within six inch coherency when you first set them up. And then after that, they can all split off into yeah. separate little units. Yeah. And remember that um, you've got OPSEC and you count as five models. Yes. So these are, these are your good run forward real quick and grab objectives yeah. units. Absolutely. Okay. So your knight errants. This is... Um, Slightly different to um, obviously the way that the Chaos Knights work. These ones, in a way, are a little bit different. The fact that we've kind of got, depending on the loadout, a different name for them. So we've got the Errant, and the Errant is equipped with the Thermal Cannon and the Chainsword. Um, now, with most of these options, you can typically replace the Chainsword for a Thunder Gauntlet. So it's basically, if you look at the Knight, if it's got a Thermal, then it can also have a Sword or a Fist. Um, that is also the same for the Warden, um, I believe. Yeah, you can replace the... Uh, so we'll go on to most of these, but I think it's just the main gun is the significant difference between them. So the Errant's the Thermal Cannon. Now the Thermal Cannon, now obviously these are the big knights, they're movement 10, they used to be 12, they're now 10. They hit on threes, uh, starting, they do bracket. Uh, the Strength 8, 24 wounds, 4 attacks at the four, with the 3 up save. So the Thermal Cannon, range 30, heavy 2d3, so average 4 shots, strength 9, minus 4, d6, plus 2 damage. And then it's obviously got the Melter range of plus 4 damage when you're within half. Now the Errant has a Bondsman ability. So all the big knights, aside from the gigantic ones and the um, Receptors, which are like your Chaplain equivalents, um, apart from those two, all these that I'm going to read out have a Bondsman ability. And this one is the Errant's Duty. In your command phase, you can select one friendly noble household armager class within 12 inches of this model. Until your next command phase, you can declare a charge in a turn in which you advanced and you add one to charge and advance rolls for the armager model. You get an advance in charge armager when you've got an errant. Now remember, we spoke about some other ways. You can actually put a bondsman ability onto two units. You could have two armagers advancing and charging. You could have the high monarch giving all of them advance in charge for a turn 
Um, and remember, because you're Imperialis, if you went for that, you get the plus ones anyway on the, you get the additional to your, your advance in charge rolls um, as well. So again, there's some really nice stacks here. Yeah. And you can also, this is also the one where you can use the, um, basically their version of a litany to uh, uh, chain the, the bonds of mutability from, to one Helverin or to one Armager to another Armager. So even if something further at range, yeah. So this is this is definitely a bonds modality that would again lean into the the melee inclined uh, yeah. quest imperialis because the imperialis gets plus one to their advance in charge rolls. So now um, a knight under this bondsman ability is getting plus two to their advance rolls, plus two to their charge rolls. And if anybody just heard dogs bark, I apologize. Apparently, a deer was in my backyard. So anyway, it's, it's okay, Dave. That's allowed. Okay, so knight warden is the next one. Um, now, again, everything that you'd expect from the Warden. This one, though, has the Avenger Gatling Cannon, which is 36 range, heavy 12, strength 6, minus 2, 2 damage. That hasn't really changed since its previous edition, but its Bondsman ability is in your command phase. You can select one friendly noble household armager within 12 until the start of your next command phase, etc., etc. That armager class model counts as 10 for the purposes of the player who controls that objective. It's okay. Yeah. I don't think it's as crucial as advance in charge out of the two. Oh no, advance in charge of of the two. Advance in charge is way more valuable. Yeah, way I, more valuable. The Avenger cannon is nice. Um, it's pretty reliable, and obviously you can take a nice little relic as well. But I think out of the two so far, we're probably steering towards the advance in charge armager. Yes. Yeah. The Avenger. I, I always look at the Avenger cannon. And I think, wow, that's a giant gun. That's a huge rotary barreled gun that should be putting out massive amounts of damage. And then you look at the profile and it's like you said, it is consistent. The nice heavy 12, you're not rolling for a number of shots. Strength six, AP two, damage, flat damage two. It's consistent. It's sort of the nice, not thrilling, but nice. It's That's nice. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it is. The, it's the it's the firepower equivalent of beige. It's okay, but when you're looking at a knight and you're spending the kind of points on a model you're going to be spending, not to mention the dollars, I, I don't think I would. Go for nice. No, you don't want nice. You want, no. wow. When yeah. you start to do the math on it, you've got 12 shots, three are going to miss because you're hitting on threes. So it's nine hits. Yeah. You're wounding most things on the game in threes. So six wounds. Six wounds. Minus two. So let's say you're shooting a marine. Save a third of those. It's minus one. So they're on a four plus save. Yep. Uh, so also, hey, save half of them. So three go through. Wow. So that giant Avenger Gatling cannon has on average killed three intercessors. Congratulations. And if they're touching cover, then you might have only killed two, maybe one. Right. But in Eldar matchups, it's great. It's really good. So it's kind of matchup specific. Okay, Dave. So the Night Crusader. Night Crusader. The yes. Crusader is the one with two guns. So this one doesn't have a combat weapon. It's just got its stampy feet. And the Titanic feet, um, the other two models do have, but it's slightly changed. It's now just, uh, it used to be like, have a million attacks with your feet and everyone just fought with their feet. But now um, it's only four attacks and your strength eight minus two, two damage. So it's not amazing, but which I think I like because you want to have a, your feet shouldn't be better than the actual close combat weapon you were, you were taking, right? So I think that's good. Right, yeah. The Night Crusader, um, same stat line as what we've seen before. Now, this one has a bondsman ability. Pick an armager class and improve its ballistic skill by one. 
which is good, especially if you're chaining it together or using some of the other combos to stack things and you're leaning Quester Mechanicus, you could take a couple of those Armager Helverins and really buff their shooting with their auto cannon. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good combo. Hitting on twos, auto cannons. Yeah, it's great. Um, okay. That's quite nice. Um, and then we've got the Gallant. Um, and obviously the Crusader comes with the Thermal Cannon and the Avenger. And you get the opportunity to swap that for, you can swap the Melter Gun, the Thermal Cannon, sorry, for a Rapid Fire Battle Cannon, which is had a certain um, improvement, I would say. The, uh, the Battle Cannon now is heavy 2d6, strength 8, minus 2, flat 3 damage. It used to be only d3 damage, so it's had a, you know, flat 3 damage is really good for that. Yeah, and it's got Blast, so yeah. if you're running into something that's more Horde-inclined, um, you know. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. not bad, right? Not bad. Um, okay, so the Knight Gallant now. The Knight Gallant is the one with two combat weapons. So the Gallant's profile is slightly different. He moves 12 inches rather than 10, so he's a little bit quicker. And his weapon skill is 2+, plus, so he hits in combat on 2s. And he gets an additional attack, so he gets 5 attacks. Um, and obviously you've got the Reaper Chainsword, which has got a strike and a sweep. And then you've got the Thunder Gauntlet, which has got a strike and a sweep. And obviously all the other knights have these same profiles. So the, the Reaper Chainsword, you're looking at um, its strike ability is, is plus six. So you're 14 strength, minus four, flat six damage. Or the sweep is, and that's with five attacks, or you can sweep it for 15 attacks because you roll three hit rolls. Um, and that's strength eight, minus three, two damage, which is really good. And obviously you're hitting on twos. The Gauntlet, however, is strength 16 with the strikes. So that's five attacks at strength 16, minus three, eight damage. Or the sweep is 10 attacks plus two strength, which is strength 10, minus two flat, three damage. So you've really got some nice opportunities there to look at the you know amount of wounds your opponent has or the amount of models and select the right combat weapon for you to make sure it's the most efficient. So I really like this. His Bondsman ability, I think, is also really, really good. Improve the weapon skill characteristic by one. So we saw the Crusader give you plus one ballistic skill. This one gives you plus one weapon skill. Yeah, I like I like this. This one because I like the idea of you know if you're gonna go knights, I like the I, mean, I just knights always evoke the idea of a joust. You know, yeah. even LVO even does the joust every year. So I like the idea of having the knight and his couple of squires there all charging into combat and just laying waste. And I like the flexibility, like you said, of you can really tailor which attack you want because you get both close combat weapons. You can tailor which weapon you're going to use and which um, yeah. which version of each weapon you're going to use. You got four different weapon profiles you can pick to tailor to whatever he's you're fighting against that turn. So I like it. I, I this is probably one of my top two favorite models in this codex. Mate, I oh know, mate, me too. And also, I think this the gauntlet used to be minus one to hit, but now it's no longer. Um, so here's a couple of things I want to talk about just at this point. Um, Remember, there's a fight on death stratagem. We haven't covered that yet. So when I'm saying right. remember, I'm just saying that to myself because I haven't told you yet. <laughs> okay, so the reason why I bring this up is because you bracket a normal knight brackets from threes to fours to fives. So normally when you play against a knight player, as soon as you put them on six wounds remaining, they're hitting you on fives, which is pretty terrible in combat. You've actually kind of nullified all of their combat effectiveness. Yes, you've just turned the knights into Tau. Yeah, and we know how good they are in combat. So the, the Gallant, however, hits on fours, okay, which is good, but you can take the Oath to get plus one to hit. So then, then 
you're hitting on threes with your knight, even on your bottom bracket. So you're maximizing your efficiency, but that does mean you have to go for the plus one to hit in combat, which I would definitely recommend you go for in terms of your chivalric codes. And then when you put that on your armages, again, rather than them being bracketed and only hitting on fives with their, you know, sweep or strikes, they're now hitting on, because they get plus one weapon skill, which puts them hitting on fours, then they get plus one to hit, puts them back on threes, because it's not a plus one to hit, it's an actual, this bondsman ability is a characteristic change rather than a plus one to hit. So it means your armages, even when they're completely bottom bracketed, they're still hitting on threes. And even if they're in that mid bracket, they're still hitting on twos, which is incredible. So I think if you're taking Warglaives with the Thermal Spears, definitely consider taking a Gallant. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. The Paladin. The Paladin. The Paladin's got the one with the Rapid Fire Battle Cannon and then a Combat Weapon. So similar stat line we saw before um, from the other knights with a gun and a, a weapon. In your command phase, you can select one friendly Noble Household Armager class within 12 until the start of your next command phase. Each time your armager makes an attack, re-roll a hit roll and a wound roll of one. Which is good. Which is great when you're looking Which is at great. on an armager uh, with the um, Helverin, because you're getting lots of the shots. That's mm -hmm. the one you want to put that on. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the other thing I think, because I've, I've heard and I've read online and I've, I've heard and talking to a couple of people who are night players that they, they kind of shine on the battle cannon as being less desirable than certainly the, the thermal spear or some of the other ranged weapons. The good thing about the rapid fire battle cannon is it's got double the range of, of, of at least the other two ranged weapons we've talked about so far. This is a 72 inch weapon. So if you're playing Games Workshop terrain, some of their terrain layouts that are a little, that have some usual longer lanes of fire, you can park this guy to cover that lane of fire and he is heavy 2d6 shot 72 inch range he's gonna put a hurt on stuff from across the table unlike the uh melta spear the the um which yeah. was 36 and the um reaper cannon or that was 30 and the reaper cannon there or the rather the avenger gatling cannon that's 36 and the spear the thermal spear that's 30 so having that extra range is not something to to ignore when you're considering how you're putting your list together no um i mean i think it's good to remember there's a mechanicus one which allows you to put your, um, sorry, a Mechanicus um, upgrade called the Princeps, which allows you to put your Bondsman ability on another big knight. So imagine if this guy, okay, is your Princept, and then you can pick one of your big knights to have reroll hits of one and reroll wounds of one. That's pretty good. It's really good. That's yeah. pretty strong, I think. Um, Definitely. I mean, when, especially when you're looking at like maybe the, the one that's in the combat night when he's already hitting on twos, wounding on twos. Now it's basically you hit and wound with everything. Right. Yeah. And, and, and also it does specifically say it just says each time an armature class model makes an attack. So that bondsman ability applies to shooting and to melee. Yeah. So you, you're, you, if you're putting that on, say, the, uh, um, the armature, uh, the warglaive, you're going to be able to use that twice as much. You're going to benefit from it in the shooting phase and the combat phase. I would definitely take a Paladin, make him a Princept and go Mechanicus, and then just go, hey, Mr. Crusader, reroll hits in ones for the turn. You're like, cool. Sounds good to yep. me. I'll take some rerolls. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Then we've got, um, so that's him. 
that's him done. Then we're on to the Castellan. Um, we've got the Castellan and the Valiant. Uh, they've got no Bondsman ability. They are just your big old, you know, shooting loads of guns, no combat. You know, they only move eight, 28 attack, uh, 28 attack, 28 wounds. Um, you've got the Plasma. So this is the Castellan. You've got the Plasma Disseminator. There's two different types of weapons you can pick from in terms of your profiles. Both 48 inch range, both heavy 2d6. One strength 8, one strength 9, one strength 4. Well, they're, sorry, they're both uh, AP minus 4. One's damage 2, and then one is damage 3. But on the 3 damage one, each time you make a hit roll of 1, you suffer 2 mortal wounds. Not brilliant. Um, you know, it's quite a risk there. Um, now, then you've got the Shield Breaker Missile. That's just one shot. Strength 10, minus 4, d6 damage. Um... And it can only shoot those once, basically. But invulnerable saves can't be made against it, which is quite nice. You've got some twin melter cannons on there. You've got twin siege breaker cannons you could take instead or and or. You've then got the Volcalo Lance, which is his other big weapon. It's range 80, just in case you needed more than 72. You've got 80. You've got heavy D3, strength 16, minus 5, D6 plus 8 damage, and that is blast. Um, so I think the Castellan, you know, it's, it could be quite good for an apocalypse style game, like those big 3000 point games. I think it could be good. There's certainly some combos where you can start layering in loads of mortal wounds with some of this stuff. But I think it, taking one of these guys will really impact the rest of your list in terms of how many models you can actually get on the, on the ground because they are quite expensive. They're very expensive. But uh, two things to note. One, I think the Volcano Lance, the 80 inch, that is primed for if you're going to park this guy in one corner, and on the opposite corner, your opponent brings a harpy, and you want to shoot it down. Is that the, the volcano lance is heavy D three? Okay, so you're averaging two shots, but the uh, it's strength sixteen, AP negative five, and it is a D six plus eight damage. So you are going to shoot that harpy down. If they go, oh, minus one damage, you're like, cool. <laughs> That's great. Here's yeah. here's the other D six plus seven. Yeah. So that there is there is some very limited play for that, um, you know, but it's a it's a great profile. I, I like the Volcano Lance a lot. Um, the 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 twin siege breaker can and the, the, the other thing that comes standard. It's it's kind of weak sauce. Heavy 2d3 shots, 36 inch range, strength seven, AP negative one damage two. That's that's chump change. That's you're going to space Marines laughing at that thing. So that, I, I would definitely upgrade that. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is this is the first of the two Dominus class knights and that those matter because a lot of the stratagems, a lot of the abilities in the book say they specifically refer to Quester class models. And there's these two models yeah. are the ones that are, they're not, they're, they're not uh, Armager class, they're not Questorus class, they are Dominus class. So they are um, eliminated from benefiting from certain abilities and certain strats. Yeah, you can't upgrade them, stuff like that. And obviously right. they don't have the Bondsman ability. They're just big old damage dealers, aren't they, really? And then you've got the yep. Valiant, you've got the Configuration Cannon, it's range 18, heavy 3d6, strength 7, minus 2, 2 damage, and, it, and it's a flamer. Um, yeah, then love you've got, it. You've got the Harpoon, range 18, heavy 1 shot, uh, heavy 1, 16 strength, I mean, wow, uh, minus 6. Yeah. 10 damage, Dave. 10 damage. 10 damage. That's, yes. That is, it's just, I'm going to, that Rhino, I'm going to one-shot it. Yeah. But I'm, that I'm, is definitely where you're wishing that you were, your ballistic skill of three plus, you would, some way you could buff it. And if, because if you roll one or two, you are sad. Well, let me tell you the next bit. 
in the ability section when you target a monster or vehicle, add one to the hit roll, Dave. So actually hitting that rhino on a two now. That was the wrong time for you to eat something. <laughs> and then each time an attack made with this weapon is allocated to a model, uh, the model uh, suffers three mortal wounds in addition to normal damage. This basically takes 13 damage. It's quite good. It's got melter guns, twin shield breaker, titanic feet as well. So anyway, that is that. And then we're on to the preceptor. Okay, so the preceptor. This is your chaplain knight. Yeah, that's it. So it doesn't get a bondsman ability, but it, what it gets is those um, preceptor abilities that we went over in the last episode. Now, you essentially know three. In your command phase, you can recount up to two and you do them on a three plus. Remember, there is the relics you can do on twos. Uh, and there's a cool stratagem later on as well we'll cover for you. So the preceptor, same stat line as all the others, movement 10, weapon skill, well, skill 3, strength 8, toughness 8, 24 wounds, 4 attacks, um, 3 up save. It's got the Laz Impulsor, it's his main weapon, you've got two profiles, 36 inch range or 24 inch range. The first one is heavy 2d6, strength 6, minus 2, 2 damage, so basically a, it could be a little bit like the um, Avenger cannon, but you yeah. have to roll double boxcars in order to get the 12 shots. Um, so you're probably averaging seven shots on that one. Um, and then the high intensity one, which is 24 range is heavy D6. So three shots on average strength, 12 minus four flat four damage. And these are both blast, which is quite good. Um, then you've got the preceptor multi laser. It's basically just a souped up heavy stubber with four shots at strength six, no AP. And it's got the Reaper chain sword, or it can obviously take the gauntlet. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, it's got those teachings that you can use. Now, the last model in the book is Canis Rex. This is your special character. You can only take one of them, obviously, because it's a named character. Um, and this is a really cool thing where when it dies, the little man inside jumps out and runs around. Huh. It's actually quite useful. Um, so Dave, Canis Rex, he's a little bit different. First off, he's got, he's got two up weapons and ballistic skill. Yeah, so he's, he hits more efficiently. He's also got five attacks rather than four. Um, his Laz Impulsor is the same, like his weapon is the same. Um, and you've got Freedom's Hand, which is basically a slightly different um, Thunder Gauntlet, which does mortal wounds, which is quite nice as well. So where every time you roll a six, it does D3 mortal wounds when you strike, or you do one uh, mortal wound when you use just the sweet profile. So that's quite good, I think, with him. Yeah. When, like I said, when can this Rex is destroyed, uh, Sir Hector is um, jumps out and he's got a little pistol we can run around with. But, you know, he could just sit on a, an objective for you in the backfield. Now, the good thing about this one is he gets an inbuilt ability where he gets, against non-Imperium units, he gets exploding sixes. And once per battle round, you can reroll one hit, one wound, charge roll, or saving throw made for Canis Rex, which is quite good. So it's kind of like he's already got an inbuilt Warlord trait and an inbuilt Relic, because his fist yep. is better than a normal fist. He's got a better profile, and um, he can recite up to two teachings as well. Um, and on a three plus, they are, you know, they go off. So again, I think. Can this Rex now, especially with the new, um, you know, CPs and things, he really is a nice addition to most lists because he's kind of getting a free wall or trait and a free relic. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's somebody that you, you don't, you're going to get some nice extra abilities and you're not having to spend that 
that pregame CP for for any of them or for that or for his freedom's hand um, improved gauntlet, etc. So, yeah, absolutely. So I think it's a really good extra. Um, and I think for his points, he's probably worth if you were thinking of taking a preceptor, I'd probably just take him unless you wanted to take one of the upgrades. Because obviously, because he is a named character, you can't upgrade him with stuff. Okay. Um, he also will not get your house. Okay. And he is Questor Imperialis, but he is a free blade. So that does give him some uh, uh, flexibility because he's an agent of the Imperium. All right. All right. Now, because he's, an, he's a free blade, even though he's a named character, can someone, can other armies soup him in? That's a good question, actually. Um, if he's free blade, it seems like he should be. We'd have to look at the wording on that. Yeah. I'll tell you what, we can do that next episode when we look at the balance update. Yep, let's do that. Well, that'll be our, our follow-up. Because obviously now, um, you, with the new balance update in Nephilim, you can take a super heavy auxiliary uh, for free, providing that your keywords are matched. So maybe you can, maybe you can't. Who knows? But his points difference between the two is, can this Rex is 440 points. A regular preceptor is four hundred and uh, yeah, four hundred and twenty. So, I think it's quite good for mm. twenty points extra. Free water tree, yeah. free relic, quite good. I Absolutely. think it's a good, good little platform. Yep. All right, strats, and this takes us back to anybody following at home. This brings us back to page eighty. Uh, we're going a little backwards, but uh, the first one I I like, and this is where I wanted to make sure that everybody understood that you know where the Dominus class wasn't because this is one of the ones that says. It applies to Armager class models or Questorus class models, and then it says or otherwise. So, for it is a calc- this is called calculated targeting, uh, and on on a uh, until the end of the phase, each time the model makes a ranged attack on an unmodified wound roll of six, that attack inflicts a number of mortal wounds on the target equal to the damage characteristic of that attack, and the attack sequence ends. If the model is an Armager class model, it's two CP. If it's a Questorus class model, it's three CP. Otherwise, it's 4 CP. So if it's Dominus, if it's one of those two Dominus class models, it's a 4 CP, which yeah. is expensive. But if you're, you know, using one of those big weapons that, say, does 10 damage, yeah. um, you know, pulling off, uh, you know, doing, six, do, doing 10 mortal wounds on a single shot is nice. Of course, this requires you to roll an unmodified wound roll of 6. I don't know if I'd gamble on that, but, you know. What's a 6, Dave? Uh, a number you and I never roll. Yeah. Is that the same as like spotting a unicorn? Is it? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I know that's the the on the VT dice uh, that that we uh, just got that made. you sell that we've done. The, yeah, especially the new ones that, that you just got made. It's the V and the T symbol. Right. So, yeah. I should have asked to put that on the one, shouldn't I? Because then I might have seen it more often than not. You would see it. You and I would see it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, look at that VT logo. Oh, this one. So nice. Yeah, that's okay though. Yeah. That's fine. Um. So. Calculating targets, like we said, you roll a modified six, you do that amount of damage as mortal wounds. That's ridiculous. Um, possibly one of my favorite stratagems coming up next, full tilt. Okay, it's one CP. Use a stratagem in the movement phase when an Imperial Knight's vehicle advances. Do not make an advance roll. Instead, add six to the move. And if you're in an armager, nine to the move. Now, if you're Imperialis, you do not get the plus one because this is not an advance roll. This is just a auto move of that distance. So remember that you're not going to get, 
if you're giving it like those extra stacks with the plus two earlier, that's not going to work because this is either one or the other, basically. Because this isn't yeah. a role. Because the other ones explicitly say add one to the role. This isn't a role because it says do not roll. Yeah. You're just adding it to the move characteristic instead. Right. This is replacing the, the whatever you would roll plus your modifier. So this is, yeah, you don't get your other bonuses. Sure. Um, okay. Yeah. But great. Next one. Thunderstomp, one CP. Use this stratagem in the fight phase when an Imperial Knight's Titanic model from your army is selected to fight. And so this is basically any of them that have the stompy feet. Uh, subtract one from the attack's hit roll, but if that attack successfully hits the target, unless the target of the attack is a vehicle, monster, or character unit, the target suffers two mortal wounds and the attack sequence ends. So it basically turns your thunderous feet into all doing mortal wounds. Yeah, now remember, on the, um, the, the guy, the combat one, who hits on twos, um, you'll subtract one, but then if you're in the, as long as you're honoured getting the plus one, so you're still hitting on twos again. So it is literally guaranteed 10 mortal wounds with that one. Yeah. Which is yep. really good. When you feel really. like, actually, I can't risk invun saves, or maybe you're playing against Harlequins or something, you think, do you know what, 10 mortal wounds is just better than making 15 attacks where they could spike their invuns. Right. So I think yep. it's quite nice. It's a nice, it's a nice little one CP insurance policy. Yeah. Um, impetuous glory, one CP. Um, basically, when you fight, make a melee attack. Unmodified six scores additional hit. So exploding sixes in combat on an armor class, armager class. It's okay. Then you got probably the greatest stratagem I've ever seen in this book. One CP line breaker. Use this strategy in your fight phase when a quest score Imperialis vehicle uh, makes a consolidation move until the end of that phase when making that consolidation move, that model can move up to six inches instead of three. This is cumulative with the vow of honor. So basically um, you'd go a little bit further. So you'd move up to seven when it consolidates and you can move in any direction providing it. This is the important bit, providing that it consolidates either within engagement range of an enemy model, or it ends that move at least three inches closer to your opponent's battlefield edge. This means you can fight something, and if you don't kill it, just move towards their battlefield edge and get out of combat from them. Well, can you still, I, you know, because normally you don't, yeah. You can move yeah, in any you direction. Consolidate, you could get a free fallback, basically. Or fall forward. Oh, yeah, or fall forward. So fall forward, yeah. Or what you can do is like, let's say, charge a unit, which you might not kill, do a load of damage to it, and then consolidate into a rhino. So then the rhino has to fight back or whatever. Yeah. It's really, really good day. Yeah. That is a, and it, for one CP, that is really good for, you know, out of game state, you know, or out of, out of sequence moving. Really good. Against like my blood angels, it could charge my, um, I don't know my assault centurions and even if I hurricane intervene with my uh, sang you know sanguinary guard or something then you can fight and then just get out of the way quickly really strong yeah, yeah really really strong okay so uh, imperial prowess okay this one or two cps when a quest or knight unit is selected as an attack until the end of the phase um, basically plus one to your saving throw so it's one cp if it's an armager two cps if it's not so it's okay um, quite good when you've got the relic for the two plus save, you can basically boost this to a one plus save. So that's your starting point. So minus one attack would still put you on a two up, uh, minus two, you'd still be on a three up save in combat because it's a nice way to boost yourself in combat 
combining with the relic for the two plus armor save. So that's a nice little stack combination there. Yeah, especially since your invuln only works in, in range, generally speaking. So yeah. being able to use this and you know to can the fight phase to give yourself a little bit of a buff. Yeah. You know, and as as armor of contempt has shown, you know, one little extra pip of armor save can make all the difference. Makes all that difference. Then you've got one CP pack tactics if you've got two um, armages or more. Um, basically, you get plus one attack on those armages, which is because you basically pick the enemy unit that's engagement range of those armages. So if you've got multiple armages in engagement range of a unit, all your armages can have plus one attack. It's quite cool. Yeah, and that's a plus one to the attacks capital A. So that's you're you're increasing the attack stat line. So yep. then if you're getting the sweep attacks with the chain chain reaper chain glaives on the war glaives, you're you're, you're doubling up to ten now. So you can you can use a nice little if you if you put that on the right uh you know couple of models you can you could really get uh get some extra mileage out of that strat. Yeah, and then you've got one CP pains of the old knight. Um, use this strategy in the fight phase. Basically, when you're fighting against chaos, you can reroll a rune roll of one. So basically, you can have a lieutenant knight for the turn whilst you're um, obviously it's only to the own, only mo- its own model, but against chaos, which might become a lot more popular as chaos space marines are about to drop. Yes. Um, Skyfire protocols basically shoot against aircrafts with your armages. You get plus one to your hit rolling um, shooting, which is okay. Not amazing. One CP, thin their ranks, use a stratagem, select up to three armager models until the end of the phase. Each time a model makes a ranged attack and modified hit roll of six automatically wounds the target. This is really good with your um, Helverins at strength seven. If you've got to take down a toughness eight model, you can go Helverin, Helverin, Helverin that are all strength seven. And then obviously all their sixes will automatically wound because normally you'd be wounding on fives. And obviously it just gives you a chance with the hit roll to get some wounds through as well. I do quite like that. Yeah. Uh, because you're looking at 24 shots, then that should average a four rolling four sixes. Um, and then that's four wounds that go into the pile before you actually get to the wound roll. So that's quite good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Especially with loads of T8 Nid monsters running around. Yes, absolutely. So, trophy calm. Um, claim. Yeah. I can't read that one. Trophy claim. <laughs> one CP. <laughs> Basically, kill a Titanic unit um, and gain an attack. And then also, um, you gain an honor point and some other stuff like that. You can basically, until you are determined which you can essentially have, you always count as virtuous as well. Um, so if, it's very, very situational, but could be quite clutch in certain situations if you kill a Titanic unit. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. you know, especially if you, if you just want that extra honor point i guess and you, you're trying to push for for the virtuous ability or something yeah could be all right okay this is quite good for mechanicus it's the only way of getting this one cp five plus feel no pain against mortal wounds um it's quite useful i accidentally yeah. used this in a battle report when i was imperialis because i just thought it was um any unit not quest or mechanicus so do you make sure this is only Mechanicus that are using this five up feel no pain strat against mortals. Um, then you've got Crushed, basically, with the Freedom Hand or Thunderstorm Gauntlet. Um, it's one CP. And before any saving throws are attacked, both players roll off. And if the strength for the Imperial Knights is greater than you add one to the roll, basically, if I win, you can't take invulnerable saves. If I lose the roll off, then your damage, it becomes damage zero. So let's say I'm fighting a I don't know, a Harlequin. 
solitaire or something. He's got a three up in bun. We both roll a dice, Dave. I'm a knight. Yep. I'm stronger. I roll a dice. Let's say I roll a three. I'm stronger becomes a four. If you roll a four, five, or a six, nothing happens. Was if you roll a one, two, or a three, which is lower than my roll of a four, you don't get your invun and you'll just take all that damage for that one attack. That sounds great, but I don't like that gamble. No, I'm not a gambler either, Dave. I wouldn't do mm -hmm. it. Nope. No. I'll keep my CP, thanks. Yeah. I yeah. go to Vegas to I go to Vegas to play 40k, not the gamble. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that machine spirit resurgent. Uh, in your command phase, select a quest or mechanicus until the start of the thing. You consider to have full wounds remaining. Okay. Armager class, it's one CP, otherwise it's two. Okay. That's all right. Now, this will actually work, remember, on your big, big ones, because it just says armager or other. Okay. It's one or two. Then, you know that stratagem I said, remember, you've got a fight on death. Here it is. This is what you've got remember forward to, Dave, if you, you know, can go back in time. Right. Um, we're doing some weird time travel here. It's Valiant Last Stand, one or two CPs. Basically, for a quest or Imperialis, you fight on death, okay? It's amazing. But you're assumed to have one wound remaining. And the only caveat is that you couldn't have already fought, all right? Yeah. So maybe a, a turn three, turn four strat that you're going to use once per game because you're, you're, yeah. your big knight's about to go down. And uh, Well, if he goes down and he hasn't fought yet, then you spend those two CPs, and because he's the big one with the combat weapons, who's hitting on fours on, his, on a one, and you're getting plus one to hit, you're still hitting on threes, which is why I quite, quite like that combo earlier I mentioned. So Yes, yep. That's still really scary, going up against a 15 attack knight hitting on threes. That's still 12 hits. Then, this is the worst stratagem that I hate so much. Noble sacrifice. There's nothing noble about this for a start. <laughs> <laughs> yes honestly ugh, yeah this stratagem one to three cps use this stratagem when imperial knight vehicle from your army is destroyed do not see if that model explodes it automatically does so what's that about yeah the very first time i ever played against a knight um i played uh he's actually i, I barely knew him at the time i just met him at this tournament he's actually a good friend of mine now a guy named dan hester's he's a great player did he use this? Um, he, well, um, he used the chaos version of it. I would not have been his friend. It, <laughs> we get along really well. But um, uh, now, but he, yeah, I, he auto exploded a chaos knight, one of the big ones in my lines against my, this was like the second or third time I took my Imperial Fist to an RTT. It, yeah, I, I got wrecked. I, I don't like this. I agree with you. A, there's nothing noble about it. It's, oh, I'm going to die anyway. Screw it, I'll just overcharge my engines and... It, no. Yeah. No. It just... I don't like it because I play combat armies and it just ruins combat armies. Yeah. It's like, I shouldn't yeah. be... Because I had to work so hard to get my combat unit in combat with you and then I had to work real hard to kill you in combat, which probably wasn't easy. Oh, and look, now I die too. This isn't fun. Anyway. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a feels bad that costs, you know... Very powerful stratagem, though. And luckily, yeah. the only saving grace to it is that you can only use this stratagem once. Thank goodness it says that. Yeah. Yeah. If you could chain reaction all of your oh. models on the table in multiple times, that would be so broken and so annoying. Yeah. Anyway, jokes aside. Yeah. Obviously, we know it's there. Okay. So um, just plan for it, guys. If you are playing a combat army, just plan for it. 
recount the virtues. Okay. Use the stratagem at the start of any of your phases. Um, then basically, um, select one mentor that hasn't recounted a teaching that it doesn't need to roll. It just automatically goes off and it takes effect into your next command phase. Okay. So it's really good. So if you needed a, an ability to go off in your shooting phase, for example, or after you've moved to a different position because your command phase wasn't set up correctly, it's a really good get out of jail free card and you don't need to worry about rolling. So I like that one. One CP, uh, survives of the strife, um, transhuman on an armager. So you can't wound it on a one to three. Then you've got a one CP, have an extra um, relic and then have a one CP warlord trait like we've seen in all the other codexes and then another one one cp your warlord so obviously this is a little bit different because use a stratagem after nominating an imperial knight's character to be your warlord technically now um you don't have to with the new balance update make your warlord have a warlord trait right but this says you can generate one additional warlord trait for them so Therefore, if you wanted to use the revered paragon um, stratagem, when you nominate your warlord, you'd also have to spend the first CP to give it a warlord trait, and then this one gives you an additional one. Because you can't generate an additional warlord trait for them if they didn't have a one to begin with, because it's not additional, is it? Right. Yeah. It's just give it a warlord trait. Yeah. Um, so it's basically the way to have two warlord traits on a knight. And there's a really cool combo with that. So exacting charge. I do like this one. It's one or two CPs. Basically, on the charge, um, for each unmodified roll of a six, you suffer two mortal wounds. Okay, um, so your knight charges in, your imperial uh, chaos, uh, your imperial knight vehicle charges in. Once you finished it, you roll four dice. If you're a regular one, and if you're a big boy, uh, then you, if you're Titanic, basically you roll six d six, and for each six, it's just two mortal wounds. It's okay. Could be getting you out of a pinch now and again, certainly against armies like Harlequins or Incubi or whatever. You don't really want to risk them fighting. You can kill them on the charge. Yeah. Um, or against something which can only take a number of wounds per phase. Again, that could be really useful. Yeah. Oh, and or if I, I you, there'd be a decent combo here if, um, oh, this is in your charge phase. Never mind. I was thinking it was whatever. Just no. So you could charge, you could shoot Gazgul, take some wounds off him go in, roll a couple of sixes, do some more wounds, then punch him and he's dead. Yeah. Quite good. A squire's duty, two CPs, you can uh, shoot and charge in a turn you fell back with an armager. It's all right? Yeah. Then we got flanking maneuvers, one CP, use this stratagem at the end of your movement phase, select two armagers from your army that are more than, select up to two, that's up to two, doesn't have to be two, um, that are more than six inches away from enemy models and within six of a battlefield edge. Basically, they can come off and back on next turn from strategic, retur- strategic reserves. Um, then we've got Storm Strides. This is Imperial Titanic model. Makes a normal move or advanced move. Select one of the main enemy model it moved over. Um, and depending on how many models it has, etc., um, you suffer a number of mortal wounds based on uh, the dice roll required. So again... When you're moving over for Imperial Imperialis Titanic models, you could also do some damage there. It's almost like a bombing run for for some of the bomber aircraft. You you move over, you move across a unit, then pick a unit that you moved across, and you drop a couple more to wound. Yeah, you're kick, kicking them as you walk over. My guess. Yeah, Defiant Fury. Um, when your uh, sorry, use a strategy when Imperial Knight character unit from your army is destroyed. Select one friendly noble armager. 
until the end of that phase. The armager can shoot as if it was your shooting phase, can only target the enemy unit, basically that killed the character. Until the end of the battle, each time an armager class makes an attack against that enemy unit, you can reroll the hit roll. So if you kill my character for two CPs, I reroll hits against you. Yeah, but it's only select one friendly household armager, so I don't know how powerful that really is. Yeah. Point blank barrage. Imperial Knights, when you're selected to shoot, um, you can make attacks with blast weapons with engagement range of it. Um, however, when you do make a attack with a blast weapon against on it on a modified one, uh, the model suffers one mortal wound. So basically, you can shoot into combat with blast, but any ones are going to give you a mortal wound to yourself. Yeah, and there's no cap on that. So you it for each unmodified hit roll of one. So if you really honk your dice rolls, you could cripple yourself. Yeah. So. Chain sweep. But remember, obviously, some of those big guns like the Paladin has got the blast and you can shoot into combat, but not with blast. So, right. yeah, it might be all right. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a valid trade-off, if, especially if you want to make sure that you, like if you've got the double gun, uh, uh, like a double gun weapon or, or knight that doesn't have anything other than maybe big feet yeah. or it's really getting swamped with enemy models, you really want to pop off a bunch of guys. It's, it's worth it. It's just, it's a little bit of a risk. Yeah. So next up is chain sweep. I really like this one, especially on, I like this one a lot. Especially on our um our night with the two the two uh combat melee weapons. weapons. Yeah. Yeah. What's he called? The knight errant. Gallant, 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 gallant. Use this strategy in the fight phase when Imperial Knight from your army is equipped with a Reaper Chain Sword or Reaper Chain Glaive, um, or a relic that replaces such a weapon is the selected to fight until the end of that phase. Each time a model makes an attack roll, you can never re-roll the hit roll. But if the attacker is using the sweep profile of a Reaper Chain Glaive, um, but if that attack is using the sweep yet, uh, or Reaper Chain Glaive, whatever, make an additional hit roll, okay? So that means, because you get five attacks, you then roll five extra dice because you get a hit roll for each of your additional attacks. Yeah, each time that mono makes an attack, make an additional roll. So you, you just, you're doubling your attack rolls further if you're doing your sweep so your five attacks becomes 10 becomes 20 no five attacks with the sword is 15 attacks it becomes 20 attacks yeah with the big one right yeah uh you you are correct if it was an armager yeah yeah uh rotate iron shields one or two cps basically have a four up in one save against ranged attacks it's one if it's an armager two if it's a big knight um yeah I think that's why we need that. So that four pin run is so important to turn one on your big guys. So having a four plus in run, you need to make sure you're at least having one CP in the pocket. So when it's your opponent's command phase, you've now got two, then you can rotate iron shields. Um, this is iron Aegis. This is the Dominus, the big one. Um, basically it creates an aura for two CPs um, of six inches while I'm on within as well, not wholly within, but any armages within six inches get a four plus uh, invulnerable save against ranged attacks. Um, and then there's hauled wreckage. And basically, if a vehicle or monster, this is one CP, was destroyed with the engagement range of an Imperial Knights during the fight, you can now select one unit within nine invisible to it. Um, it's engagement range. You can roll a D6, subtracting one. If you select as a character with a wounds characteristic nine or less, on a three to five, you basically do D3 mortal wounds. On a six, you suffer three mortal wounds. Basically, if you've got a big fist, a Thunderstrike gauntlet, you can pick up a monster or vehicle, and for one CP, you can throw it. 
but it's one CP and you might not, you might not roll enough to do D3 mortal wounds. So I don't know if it's really worth it, but it's quite cool to pick up a rhino and throw it at something else. I really like the idea of, um, you know, you, you, cause it's the vehicle monster has to be destroyed. So you, you kill a, a demon prince or a, a greater demon and you've killed it in melee and now you're just going to pick it up and huck its dead carcass at the rest of your opponent's army. There's something incredibly cinematic about that and I love the idea of it. I want to do that at least just once in my life. Yeah, just a, yeah, I do as well. It does sound good. Um, okay, so that concludes our stratagems and it, that yeah. concludes everything now. Yeah, we've covered it. We've, we've, we've finally tied a bow on Codex Imperial Knights. And I remember if you want to get that cheat sheet and in the cheat sheet just tells you in our opinion the best way of getting used to this codex all different layers um over a series of games and how you should structure yourself in terms of don't try and use all these rules at once really do break it down nice and simple things tell your opponent this is what you're going to do um you might be slightly underpowered for those first few games but um as long as it's in a friendly format you'll be okay but it'll just help you get used to the data sheets and bondsman abilities, then the codes, wardle traits, et cetera, at a nice, steady pace. So have you got any questions for me, Dave, on this? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, this, is, this is absolutely a codex. There's, there is a little bit of complexity, but nothing too, too crazy. I, I agree entirely with what you said of start slow, get a couple of the models, maybe do a, you know, do a 500, 1,000 point match, get comfortable with the rules, get comfortable with the strats that you like, you know, really figure out first off, are you going to play Quester Mechanicus? Or are you going to play Quester Imperialis? Like figure that decision out first, and then that's going to help you sort of guide all of your other decisions as you yeah. develop into playing an Imperialized player. And if you're going against this codex, make sure you ask your opponent when you walk up to the table, oh, cool, nice models. Your army looks great. Um, are you playing Me- Mechanicus or Imperialis? So you kind of get an idea of which way they're going to be leaning. Yeah, I think... And, and this is a really good subject, actually, um, is some of the questions you should be asking your opponent is, hey, um, you know, beautiful knights, because they might all be different colors. The best thing to go through with a knight player is, are you Imperialis or Mechanicus? What is your house? And then what is your house bullet points that you get? What is your Warlord trait and relic and stratagem? Just remind me of those, please. Um, and that way you're fully up to brief of everything that that household gets. You don't need to worry about the rest. Um, and then it's really important then to understand which model is a character, what warlord trait and relic they have. If they haven't brought you any distinguishable way of understanding what's on what, ask them to get some post-it notes or a piece of paper and get them near the models. I think it's just, I've had too many games in the past where, oh, this is actually the night with the four up in them. Is it though? Because before it was that one. Yeah. So. Um, Again, if they're painted really distinctly, it's a little bit easier potentially as long as there's a clear and obviously you've got monarchs and upgrades and all the other paid for stuff. So just try and make it super simple for your opponent. Like for example, with Chris, when he took it to the BAO, I got him flashcards and we wrote down everything so we could keep them next to his knights for him and his opponent to keep it fair. And if you're a knights player, make sure. And obviously if you listen to this podcast and like us, you're probably, we're probably preaching to the choir here, right? But please do provide information to your opponent. And if it's flashcards or post-it notes or some really cool design things you've done, don't write high monarch. That's not really helpful. Write what it does. Don't just say this model's got the son of the eye of honor, whatever. No, just say this guy get exploding sixes. 
Yeah, that's when the I, simple thing people need to know. Yeah, when I when I played my uh, practice game a couple of weeks ago against uh, Paul Murphy, he he has modeled his chaos guys so that some of them have the like the those carrion birds on top of them, and I forget what it was, but the ones that had the birds had some ability, and the ones that didn't have a, the birds didn't have an ability. Like you can model. They've, they've got plenty of little bits and bobs in the in the model kits too, so you can also model your mod, your, your stuff so that you remember these have something and these don't. So that's yeah. that's something else you can do if you don't want to put the index card out. But I think the index card is great, so you can. It just it takes away any accidental feel bads mid game. One of our um, guys on our team, Liam Liam Calabat, is a great player. He takes a whiteboard, a magnetic whiteboard, and then he's got his knights, and then he used to do this with his demon princes. Um, he used to put all the powers on there. So you could look it up on like a chart and you could just go, hey, here it is. Yeah. It's really simple. And then the whiteboard just stays on the side of the table. Uh, so his opponent could look over it any time and know, okay, that's that one. Or that's the paladin, the paladins, the warlord. It's got this relic and warlord trait, etc. Super simple, nice and clear and concise. Um, and I just think that's a great way, especially if you're running like psychic armies or whatever. It's really, really good. Um, and it really does help your opponent out at the table. Yeah. Uh, and the last question you should always ask your opponent is um, at the start, hey, you know, nice to meet you. I'm really looking forward to having a good, friendly game. Uh, are you looking to make friends at this uh, event or are you going to be using Noble Sacrifice? Well, exactly. I think that's a good, good question to lead with. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's certainly the first question I'll be make, asking. Absolutely. Um, speaking of Paul Murphy, if you would like to listen to myself, him and Nick Nanavati talk about um, Blood Angels, they interviewed me on my Blood Angel list and how I got on. Uh, at the BAO with Blood Angels, um, you can check out, I think it was on their YouTube channel, you can check out that interview. Um, we did a two-part series. So uh, yeah, it was an awesome interview. I said to Paul, it was like the last time me and him did a podcast together was when 8th edition came out and uh, he got me on his podcast, Forge a Narrative, to talk about Blood Angels. And I was like, it's like we're talking about the same list again, Paul. So <laughs> uh, we had a really good chat about that. So uh, yeah, yeah Paul's a great guy. Uh, so, um, but before we get out of here, we got to do our battle ready segment with James, uh, from Siege Studios. So. How you doing, James? We're back for another episode. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Right. So last week we spoke about battle damage. I want to talk this time about weathering powders. Yep. Now I applied a little bit to some of my bases thinking it looked cool. Sort of went around a bit around the feet. I'll be honest. I didn't, I wasn't sure on it. So weathering powders how and when do we use them and what's your top tips so weathering powders are really good um i think they're very much uh, use them if you want to use them if you like the look of them and all of that um they the, the one thing that is a bit is a big not i wouldn't say problem but one thing about them that is that can cause a little bit of concern is that they they don't stay on very well um now there's various different ways to get weathering powders to stay on the surface uh, we can lock them in with varnishes um, you can use isopropanol and just put that on with a pipette and it will just leave it to, to dry out in the air. And that will, um, that will obviously make the, uh, the weathering powder stay on quite well. Um, but my favorite and my absolute top tip to get weathering powders to stay on really well is to buy yourself uh, a very cheap can of hairspray, um, pref- preferably uh, a matte hairspray. But if you can't, a gloss one will still do the job. Um, it just means that you have to varnish it with matte varnish afterwards. Um, but the beauty of uh, the beauty of hairspray um, is that um, it essentially is glue in a can. It's designed to glue your hair in a fixed position. Um, so a powder, it will definitely hold on in place, and uh, you won't really have the issue of it coming off. It's really, really uh, cheap. You can get very here in England in the UK, cans are like thirty-five p. That's probably about fifty cents or something like that. 
Um, but just really, really cheap uh, hairspray will just help affix that weathering powder onto the surface. It, it, it's a great way of, of doing basing as well. Adds a lot of sort of a, a, that really fine material onto bases, which looks quite cool. Um, a lot of people put it on and then within a week it's gone off the model and that's perfectly normal if you don't seal it in. It does have this habit of just deciding to go on holiday somewhere. Um, uh, you know, you can't really stop that. But I, if you do use things like isopropanol or if you do use, for example, like um, uh, some cheap hairspray, you, you'll definitely find that, that it stays on the model quite well and uh, it just gives you a really good sort of uh, visual color or tone on the base as well. So how do we then, obviously, when you get your weathering powder, it comes in like a little pot of like basically powdered chalk, right? Yep. How do we actually get it on the model? So you can use a brush. Uh, a brush is a really good way to do it. Um, I've seen someone put it in like a, in a salt shaker before, which kind of, it, it's, it's uh, you think of or a sugar dispenser. I've seen someone put it in there before, which is a, is a bit funny. It kind of goes everywhere. If you're doing big bases, I suppose you could use it. Um, but generally speaking, um, uh, you can use, obviously, like I said, a brush or even like a spoon and then just like sometimes sieve it onto the surface of the model. Um, yeah, I, I personally... Just dry. Yeah, dry. I, I, I've seen people put it on wet before. You mix it with isopropanol and then paint it on. Um, personally, for me, I, I'll put it on dry and then fix it on. I like the powdery kind of finish to it personally. Right. Brilliant. Okay. I think that's where I went wrong. I, I, made, I had a wet brush and um, it made a right mess. So uh, anyway, James, I wish I asked you these questions before I tried it, but we're here to learn, right? Yeah, it's um, all good. But James, thank you so much, mate. And uh, I'll see you next week. See you in the next one. Take care. All right. Thank you again, James. And I am looking forward to our next uh, one-to-one call in about a month uh, after I've had plenty of time to practice what you taught me. Uh, so that's it for this week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Steve and I, are, our next episode, without uh, much ado, we're going to, I'm not sure about release schedule, but we're going to sit down and talk about the new Warzone Nephilim GT book, points updates that came out this week, and the latest balance data slate. There's so much for us to cover. Uh, it's ridiculous. So, uh, until then, this is Dave Caldwell for Stephen Box saying, "Don't mess with my toppings, man." What's that? That's it. It's a Pacific Rim reference, man. Just, just, just go with it. Okay, I'm going with it. See you, okay. everyone. Bye. Later.